What if you could complete your MBA in just one year? Thanks to the College of Charleston School of Business, now you can. Their accelerated MBA program condenses a traditional two-year program into one rigorous year, ensuring you not only save a year of tuition and fees, but also re-enter the workforce quickly and graduate with critical business knowledge. U.S. News & World Report recognized the College of Charleston MBA as number one in the country for its job placement rate within three months of graduation. Learn more at mba.cfc.edu. Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Good morning, and welcome to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Each Saturday morning at 9, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the Lowcountry talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life. Now your hosts of Beyond the Business, Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood. And great Saturday morning, Lowcountry. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Business, heard here on 94.3 WSC and simulcast on iHeartRadio, or you may be checking us out via our podcast on Spotify or iTunes. Uh, we appreciate you joining us every Saturday morning here beyond the business presented by the College of Charleston and Coastal Wealth Management. And we're excited to have another great guest in studio. Before we do, make sure we introduce our lovely and talented co-host, Miss Leslie Haywood. Hey, Leslie. Hey, good morning, Eric, and good morning, Low Country. And make sure and continue the fun beyond Saturday mornings and follow us on Facebook at Beyond the Business and also on Twitter at BTBCHS. How are you doing this morning? You know, I'm, I'm doing good, Leslie. It's, you know, it's springtime. It's Charleston. What else can you complain about, right? Exactly. Right. Although, I, I'm going to be honest, we've been doing this show, gosh, almost eight years now. And I got a little rant this morning. Can I do a little rant? Okay. I know. (laughs) I have never done a rant. I've never done a rant on the show, but it's been an interesting week out here. Um, And I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I've run into a couple situations since this is a show a lot about entrepreneurship and business. I've run into some unique experiences in the last two weeks with low country businesses. And that is... I've seen a very distinction between those businesses that have been exceptional at their customer service and those who have been sorely way underserved in their customer service experience. And so I was just curious if you've seen that. Oh, well, it seems like there is a great divide, even more so. You're, I, I agree. I agree. I, I feel like maybe the lack of employment, um, people... I, you know, I'm a foodie. So I've seen this definitely in the restaurant industry and I have to, you know, we've got to give some grace when it comes to that. But um, yeah, I, I have. I've noticed how polarizing things are right now. It's interesting. I've, I've seen it across the spectrum in a variety of businesses. And, you know, my thought as an entrepreneur myself was, wow, what an opportunity for the true entrepreneur to step up and do something creative, whatever that must be to get talent and hire people so that you can stand out way above all your competition. This is the time to shine. Right, right. Is there a particular industry that you have had this? I'm now I'm it, curious. It, it's interesting. I've had it in the dry cleaning industry. I've seen it in the food and beverage industry. I've seen it in the boat service industry. <laughs> I won't call out any names on air, but I have seen it in the last two weeks in many aspects. And then I've had an experience at a particular business that 
I think, has um, captured and seized on the opportunity to shine above their competition. All I'm saying is as an entrepreneur and man, we've been interviewing entrepreneurs for eight years, listening to stories. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that that difficult times and challenges like we're going through present opportunity. And I feel like right now is is if you're listening, you own a business, do what you got to do, pay more money than you normally do, whatever it is to go out and 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 shine. Because now is the time to do it when when so many businesses can't and they feel like they just there's nothing that they can do. Sorry for the rant. But man, I, I just love it. I, I'm, 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 I'm seeing it too much. And I'm like, you know what? Somebody should take advantage of this. I, so. I love it. Very good. Yay. Wow. I, I'm wow. glad I got that off my chest. I feel so much better. Thank you, Leslie. How's so. the boat? <laughs> Is the boat going to be running this weekend? <laughs> Boat's fine. Boat's fine. So, okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So after that whole sideways thing, uh, let's talk about our guest from the last couple of weeks. Mr. Scott Woods is the president and CEO of South Carolina Federal Credit Union. Yeah. As usual, you know, another great guest uh, really brought a lot of energy and passion. Uh, what was the takeaway, Leslie, you had from uh, his two segments? Well, it was funny. One of his secrets in being a successful leader was that he always exudes this air of thankfulness and gratitude for being his team's leader. And um, he felt like his humbleness um, with with his employees got him far. And he, he kind of mentioned that if someone comes in too arrogant or too confident, like they know everything and leads that way, then sometimes it can be human nature to want to see that person fail. And that's a very bad way for employees to feel about you. <laughs> you, you don't want your employees to think, you know, this guy needs to be taken down a peg. And so his humbleness has gotten him far. I thought that was an interesting takeaway. Absolutely. And, you know, I love the fact that he talked about um, that you really don't have to have a, or you don't always have to have a college degree, a college education, yeah. right? To go on and do amazing things in life. And what an inspiration I think his story was. If you didn't get a chance to check it out, again, go to iTunes, Spotify, go to our website at coastalwm.com, type in, or just look for the radio icon, um, or type in beyond the business on any of those other modems, modals and and have the opportunity to go check out Scott's show. And by the way, all of our shows over the last eight years are listed on our podcast system. So uh, again, Scott, thank you for your time and your story. We always appreciate it. And I love we go week from week to week, Leslie, with just these amazing stories of leadership and and um, you know entrepreneurship and just amazing spirit that is shared on this show. And that's what I love about doing this week in and week out with you. I know. I know. I can't wait. And this week is no different. I, we're going to get some stories. Nope. I can't it, wait. We're definitely going to have some stories. And so if, if you love Charleston and the history of Charleston, we've got one of the Charleston's finest, uh, Alfred Pinckney on the line with us this morning. So first of all, Alfred, good morning and welcome to Beyond the Business. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. And it's, it's, it's a positive already. So I really like it. I love your rants. <laughs> I don't do it very often, but man, I just got fired up on that one. So maybe you can help me feel better about it, Alfred. And, uh, you know, we just really appreciate, again, folks like yourself coming on and sharing your story. Uh, I know you have a lot of history with Charleston. You've been around in, in the financial services and insurance industry forever um, and, and really have seen a lot of changes in Charleston. So we're excited to hear certainly all about kind of uh, what you're doing, your philosophies and your beliefs, what you see as the vision for Charleston going forward. But obviously, before we do all that, Leslie, we like to kind of cut back on the on on time, right? 
Right, right, right. So we need to we need to learn a little bit about you, Alfred. And in order to do that, we've got to go back to the very beginning. Um, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your family life as a young as a youngster. Well, I was born. I'm from here. I was born in Charleston. Raised in Charleston for the first. 10, 11 years of my life, I was raised where the old museum, by the old museum on Halsey Street in, back, by, in the medical complex area. And um, I'm one of, I'm the last of eight children. All oh my, my siblings are half siblings, but the, anyway. And um, it, was, it, was a, it was a great place to grow up. And, you know, I'm at the end of the, I was born at the end of the Depression, and so I have a little bit of that uh, understanding in, in my, my, my experience uh, area. And um, what that really tells me is that we've had it so good for so long that a lot of people don't really quite get it. That right. Really, this depression was not a fun time for people. And um, it was I'm being born when I was in 1939. Um, I've. It's made me a very wealthy man because when when things are down so far, all you have to do is ride the wave back up, and it's been it's been a great ride. And I um I was raised on Holly Street, and when I was oh about ten or eleven, I moved to South Battery, and um, everything changed in my life at that point because on Charles on Halsey Street, I was raised as a kid that played football, rough and tumble sports with all the kids there. And, and I had those friends that I made there are still my friends. Uh, I check with them at least two or three of them because the rest of my dad are gone. Oh my. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, it was good. It was good to, to meet. It was a whole different experience when I moved downtown because the downtown crowd was more sophisticated. They were, um, well educated and i enjoyed that the girls were really pretty and i really enjoyed that that the the beauty of the area downtown is so distinct that i i loved i, I always loved beauty and and i think why i got that is i've always my family has gone to st philip's church downtown since night since 1750 and so being raised in that environment, it's a beautiful church. If, you, if people have not been in it before, they need to go. And the music, the, the Church of England is, is a church for royalty. And you have the best of everything, the best of, of education, the best of music, the best of liturgy. And, um, and it was really a wonderful experience because at the end of the Depression, seeing how poor people were, Going to church was like going into a whole different world, and and the best music. I remember one of the, one of the things my family teased me about. I love music, and um, <clears throat> they uh, one time after an offertory at St. Philip's, I got up and started clapping. <laughs> As a little kid, five years old, but um, it, because it was so beautiful, and that. I can't express to you what an impact that has been on my life. And uh, go ahead, Eric. So, so speaking as a kid, give us a little flavor for what type of kid were you? Were you studious? You talked about a little bit of sports. Like, what well, sort of, you know, who were you as a kid? And what were you thinking about, if you were, for the future? 
You know, I, I don't, I think one thing when, when I was on Halsey street, I was just a kid. I played, um, I played, we had Halsey lumber mill, which was about a half a block away. And I was raised, I'd watch them turn lump, turn trees into lumber and, and then go on from there. And, um, and I, I met other kids, but I didn't have much of a worldview. Then when I moved downtown, I, that was the time when you would, in your life, where you were a teenager and you would have a worldview. And one thing I, I realized, looking back, that having been raised in the church, St. Phillips, I appreciated beauty in, in, in many, many forms. And, um, and then when I went to high school, I went to high school at Charleston after I finished craft school. And um, I was I was in a real good class at the class at high school at Charleston. It was a public school at that point, and um, it was evil that we had. Let's see, there was George Giles, who was the smartest guy in the in the school, and he started a, a cancer treatment program that I really I used five years ago to treat a. a lymphoma that I had and um and but I always teased George when I'd see him I'd say George because academically I was not one of the top guys but I love the people I'm a people person and um I said George the closest I ever got to any recognition and and uh, awards that Charles and I was sitting next to you because I was president of the senior class and I sat on the stage at, at, at the graduation, and George got all of the awards. He was just a brilliant man, and uh, and he he laughs. He's a very he's a very quiet man. So but. you won the popularity contest. You were the president of the senior class, and he had all the brains, huh? He that, you can say that again. <laughs> then I went on. The, I went on after that. I went to Clemson in sep- September of '59, and uh, my father died October of '59, and. And I had no direction and no, no, any idea what to do. And my father was always had told me as a child, he said, look, my father was a all Southern quarterback at Clemson and was just a very outstanding player. And he, uh, he said, if you ever have any problems, you go see Mayor Stoney. Well, Mayor Stoney had been out of the office a number of years by then, by 1959, but because he was a quarterback at Carolina. And uh, and so between the two of them, and he said, he will help you in any way he can. And, and this is, so I went to, um, after he died, I, I didn't know what to do. So I came back and I, I started thinking about it. And I said, you know, maybe I should go see the, the Mayor, Ge- uh, Mayor Gayard. So, I mean, Gerard, Stoney, excuse me. So I went there and I got an appointment and went up the, those steps off of Broad Street, the dark steps that go up. Then you get there in his office, outer office, and that's a dark room with all the books on the wall with the light coming down from the ceiling. With the, and then I, we, I meet with him. Now, he was an old man at that point, bushy eyebrows and very, very much a, a, a leader. But anyway. He said, well, young man, what can I do for you? I told him my story about my father dying, and I didn't know what to do. And he, and he gave me the best advice that, that I've ever received, and I've never forgotten it. And it's ruined my life from that point on. And, the, <laughs> and his advice was this. I said, Mayor Stoney, I just don't know what to do. And he thought about that for a minute. And this is the good advice that he gave me. He said, young man, 
if you if you don't know what to do, how in the hell am I going to tell you what to do? <laughs> but isn't that great and brilliant? I mean, it's, and so with that, I went to Coast Guard. I went to see Mendel Rivers, and he got me in the Coast Guard. And I was in January. Instead of going back to Clemson, I was in the Coast Guard. It came in New Jersey. It came in New Jersey and in boot camp. So it just that those things have happened, and and really. All my, I think my life has been surrounded by my friends. I have great friends, and all of my friends were either, either doctors, attorneys, some professional, and they're all well educated. They're much better educated than I am, but they, we all, you know, life is is trade offs. You are to me what I may be to you, and and so forth and so on, and and where I may see something one way, you may see it another, and I'm not sure who's right. Right. But but anyway, my life has been sort of judged that way, and I came back to at, back to town after the Coast Guard. I only went six months and uh, five and a half years reserve, and um, then I went back to Clemson, and I would I, I was so poor I didn't have any money, and I um. I had worked in a library stacking books, and you could get 50 cents an hour at Clemson at that point. And my lunch that I would eat would be one hamburger a day. That's what that was my lunch. That was my meal. And um, and so I I was sitting there one day putting the books on the line in the in the, the stacking the books, and I said, "Do you really want to do this? I'm not a student." Um, and I said, you know, I don't. I said, what do you want to do? Because, you know, being honest with yourself is the hardest thing you have to deal with. And so I said, well, I think what you want to do, you want to go back to Charleston and marry Juliana, who was my <laughs> girlfriend and just a wonderful person. And I did that. And, I, and I've, never been, I've never looked back. And so she's you left a, Clemson twice? I left Clemson <laughs> twice. <laughs> and never finished. And, and no, and I didn't. And and but I but I no, love learning. But I didn't yeah. like. I I I I wanted more from life, and I I really cared for for Julianne, and she's. We've had a wonderful life. They were raised three great. That's wonderful. That's well, wonderful. three great daughters, and and um, they're good people. So when you came back to Charleston, obviously you were pursuing, you know, internal passions and 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 your love for Juliana. And did yeah. you think at that time about okay, what am I going to do to uh, make sure we're taking care of Juliana? What's professionally something I'm going to pursue? And how did that page unfold for you, Alfred? You know, I've never thought about things like that. I've always done things because I've always been successful. I've never been not successful. But I may not be the most successful, but I'm, I've always been successful. And I said, well, if my main, if I'm going to get married, Juliana went to work. She worked for herself. She saved every dollar she ever made when she was working. But she said, I'm not going to have you learn, live on, learn how to live on my money. So she's, she's a good Presbyterian. She knows how to manage money. And, uh, but anyway, I, um, but I always had one rule. With myself, one, I will never blame my unachievement on somebody else. It's it's always my deal, and if I'm going, if I say I'm going to do something, I have to do it, and and that goes back to that that uh, advice Stoney gave me, and um, so I didn't know what I was going to do, so I went to work, and 
Julianne's father was looking looking up for me. I was his son-in-law at that point. And um, he said, he got me a job up in North Charleston working with my hands. Well, I'm a liberal arts guy. I'm not a, I can't work with my hands too well. And every, every day, anyway, and one day a good friend of mine, we were, he's, we're both member. He, he was a member of a club downtown, Charleston Club. You've never heard of it, but it's a small club. And he invited me to it to the to the meeting. They meet once a month on on Friday, and um, and just have a cocktail party. And in there, he introduced me to the gentleman who was president of the company I was working for in North Charleston. Well. The guy said, "Where well, do you work?" I said, "Well, I work for you." <laughs> <laughs> now, what it, were you doing? What, what what was the company? It was Garco. I don't know if it was General Asbestos and Rubber Company. It was a it was one of the few companies in Charleston at that point. That and the paper mill and the Ports Authority it was about the only thing we had here. And um, I was a peacemaker in the high pressure packing department, and and it was difficult, but. You know, it goes back. I don't think of things as difficult. I think this is what I have to do. And uh, so, when when I, Mr. Heinsohn, when he who introduced me, introduced to me, um, a week later, a month later, sometime later, I was I went from the high pressure packing, working with my hands, into the into the personnel department, and uh, where I was working with people, which was a lot more of what I could do, and. Um, and I and I met some great people there. Louis Heisenbuttel was a great man, and he he we laughed a lot together. He was a good old German, and just a fine man. And I take him I take him to the bank, and they gave me a few pennies to take take Mr. Heisenbuttel to the bank. I drive him to the bank once a week, and um, and he said, "Can you believe this?" And I had a Volkswagen Bug at that point. He said. We are in America, he said. You said, "What do you think um, Hitler would think if he said he's see, seeing this this Volkswagen driving to to the bank in in America?" <laughs> and that that's a great that's a great way to think. It's just, it's fun. It's just it's life as it is. Anyway, so I I did that, and then I finally I bought some life insurance uh, from Equitable Life. Mac Matthews, anyway, was an agent. And he was a good agent, and he sold me, and I bought enough to give Juliana, if something happened to be $10,000 and $200 a month for 20 years. Remember those policies back then? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I bought that. I thought that'd be a lot of money. So I I bought that, and then I, every day when I – at lunchtime when I was at, in personnel, I'd go into, in the boardroom and read Fortune magazine. And – Equitable Mass, no, Equitable had an an, an advertisement there about the, who they wanted to work for them, and I finally said that sounds like a good deal to me. And so I called I called Mr. Matthews and I said I'd love to come work for you. I think I was the only person ever to call a life insurance company and ask them if I could go work for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> So anyway, he 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 employed me, and I and I went down, and the rest is history. I've, I've been in the business over fifty years, and I've done very well. I've just finished. Eric, you'll appreciate this. I've just finished fifty years membership in the Million Dollar Roundtable. They're very congratulations. Anybody yeah. in South Carolina that's done that, but it's just fun, and that's that's part of what the excitement of work is, and meeting people, and and learning. 
I'm talking way too much, but I I love to listen to people's stories because everyone has a story. And we our thing is to make that story the best we can be. <laughs> so so in the last couple of minutes we have in today's show, which is crazy, it goes by so fast. But um, when you got into the life insurance business, did you think initially like this is going to be a career that I'll be in for you know, 50, 60 years of my life? Or did you think that was just a stepping stone for something else? No, I thought it would. I, I had no idea. I didn't look at it that way. I said, how do you stay alive? How can I make <laughs> enough money? Because I make and I made six hundred dollars a month. And that was a ton of money back then. And um, and I said, to, to, to take care of Juliana and, and my one daughter at that point, I had two other daughters, I've got to make, I've got, I must make $600 a month. And, and you've got to, you get something, they pay you, but you have to verify it by earning it. And um, so that I did that. And, and eventually, I, the hardest part is the first rung of the ladder. And I tell young people that. I said, you know, if you can make the first rung of the, of the ladder going up, then you can, do, you can do the rest. But the first rung is the hardest because you know nothing. You're not worth a whole lot. The, the things that have meant, meant to me is church, people, relationships, and always thinking of the best you can be, not, not mediocre. I always wanted to be, I realized I wasn't the smartest, but I wanted to be the best that I could be. And that's, a, that's sort of what I'd like to say, leave with somebody. So, Alfred, what's some advice that you want to give to that person who's about to uh, embark on that first rung of the ladder? What are the, some of the things that are important to you? Honesty, straightforwardness, and never, ever depend on somebody else for your success. It's not their job, it's yours. And that's what we have to look at. If you're not going to take that, then I don't want, I don't want to be associated with you. <laughs> And it, and it seems like that's sort of a principle throughout your story that you were talking about is, is you know, I hate to use the, the pun bank on yourself, but rely on yourself. Right. And and if it's if it is to be, it's up to me. Well, and, and also you look to higher being. I think I think the church relationship to me, I would never be where I am today without that. I'm, because that's that's where you get wisdom. You get knowledge all over the place. You get knowledge from watching TV, for goodness sake. But you don't get wisdom from watching TV. You get that from from the Bible and from things of a greater nature. Well said, my friend. Well said. Well, hard to believe, but uh, we've run out of time today. So there we are, right? Your your uh, your life in twenty six minutes, Albert. Um, <laughs> but thank you. We look forward to having you back next week to hear the rest of the story. And uh, just really appreciate your time today. Again, Mr. Alfred Pinckney, thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's so good to be here. And again, you've been listening to Beyond the Business, heard here on 94.3 WSC, presented by the College of Charleston School of Business and Coastal Wealth Management. We look forward to having you back next Saturday morning for the rest of Mr. Pinckney's story. And until then, Low Country. Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Tune in next Saturday morning at 9 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 943 WSC. 
the College of Charleston School of Business is recognized among the top 30 colleges for studying business abroad by the Business Research Guide with nine undergraduate majors, 10 minors, and six concentration areas, an honors program in business, and master's programs in business and accountancy. The College of Charleston School of Business has more than 3,000 students enrolled. Their students are ready to work, and they're ready to make an impact. For more info, visit sb.cfc.edu.